so we are in the book of John, and we are going through a couple of lists of sevens, and the two lists that we're going through is the list of seven miracles that he does, and then a list of seven I am statements. We started off with the wedding of Cana, then we did a couple of healings, and tonight we are going to feed the 5,000 and walk on water, where he is. So we're in John chapter 6, and he has just finished a long discourse on his authority as the Son of Man, or the Son of God. So the next thing he's going to do is he's going to feed the 5,000 and walk on water, and then he's going to give a long discourse on bread. So, John chapter 6. After this, Yeshua went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which was the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. So he's been healing the sick, and he's drawn a crowd. Yeshua went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes, then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Yeshua said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? So the first thing is we are at Passover. As I read further along... It is not clear to me that Passover has started. So it says the Passover is at hand, which means to me that it has not yet started. And he's going to get the barley loaves from this kid to feed people with. And I was doing some research this afternoon, and barley is one of the five grains that will leaven. So some grains will leaven and some won't. So, for example, rice doesn't leaven, but barley does, wheat does, spelt does. But the fact of the matter is, is that barley will leaven. And so barley bread would be leavened bread unless it's matzah. When the New Testament means unleavened bread, it says unleavened bread. I mean, it doesn't say matzah like they do in the Old Testament or the Tanakh, but they do specify on occasion unleavened bread. So, anyway, he's got a large crowd that's following him around. He is on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and the crowd's coming up, and Yeshua says to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? As you all, I am sure, know, a denarius is a day's wage for an unskilled laborer. So I'm assuming that a denarius can buy more than one loaf of bread. One assumes that a day's labor will get you more than a loaf of bread for food. So 200 denarius is going to get... I would imagine, quite a few more than 200 loaves of bread. So this gives you an idea that the crowd is pretty large, about 5,000 men. Verse 10, Yeshua said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Yeshua then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. 
So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this indeed is the prophet who has to come into the world. Okay, a couple things. I am assuming five loaves resulting in 12 baskets of leftovers. I'm assuming both of those numbers are significant. And so I'm assuming that the five loaves represent the five books of the Torah, Moses. And then I am assuming that the 12 left over represent the 12 tribes of Israel, of which 10 are gone into exile. What I am getting from that is the Torah, Moses, through the 12 tribes is what is going to feed the nations. I mean, it's, that's simply my interpretation. The fact that we have those two key numbers, 5 and 12, and we're going to talk in the next vignette after he gets done walking on water and so forth about the manna, which is a Torah concept. So I'm assuming we're talking the five loaves being the Torah and then the 12 baskets left over being the 12 tribes of Israel, which, if I am right, indicates that as of the time of Yeshua, we are still talking about 12 tribes. It could be the 12 apostles or it could be the 12 churches in Revelation. The other part of that is that John also wrote Revelation. And in Revelation, we also have the 12 tribes, less Dan with the 144,000. So the idea that you have 12 tribes in Revelation, nothing definitive here. These are all just hints. And I'm not basing any doctrine on it. I'm just sort of giving you my idea of what the symbols might mean. So if you want to do 12 apostles and 12 churches instead of 12 tribes, God bless you. The other thing here is in verse 14, back up a second, verse 12. When they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. I am thinking we're talking about the 12 tribes in exile and the idea that he has been sent to gather the 12 tribes so that nothing might be lost. That's obviously putting spiritual significance on symbols and stuff like that, and if you don't like studying the Bible like that, God bless you, it's okay. I'm not pushing this really hard, and I'm not making any doctrine based on it. So then we go down to verse 14. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this indeed is the prophet who is to come into the world. And, of course, the prophet is mentioned in Deuteronomy where Moses says that there will be another prophet like Moses. And one of the things that happens throughout the Gospels is every time Yeshua does something wonderful, they all look at him and say, are you the prophet? Remember they said to John when he was baptizing, are you Elijah? He says, no. And they say, are you the prophet? No. So they're looking for the prophet as defined in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 18.15, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, me being Moses in this case, from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see the great fire anymore, lest I die. We've been through that lots of times. The idea is that Horeb, as they're standing at the foot of the mountain, God starts to speak to them, and they say, stop, if we hear his voice anymore, we'll die. 
And so what Moses is now saying is that this prophet will speak to them of God in a way that they can hear without dying. So the idea then that they are identifying Yeshua as the prophet goes back to Deuteronomy. Let me start in verse 15 and get a run at it. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see this great fire anymore, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require of him. So this all goes back to the giving of the Ten Commandments and the fact that Israel said, we can't hear the voice of God or we'll die. So what God is going to do is raise up a prophet who will have the words of God in his mouth, but in a way that the people will hear it, just like they heard it from Moses. I'm back in John 6, verse 15. Perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Yeshua withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Yeshua had not come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Yeshua walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. All right, equivalent passage in Matthew 14, Mark 6, and Luke 8. And each one of them has a point to be made. One of the things about the New Testament is, of course, you have the same event described by four different observers. And each one of the observers will see something slightly different and will have some kind of a different emphasis just based on his personality. Two of us could go to a play and watch exactly the same play, and our descriptions would be somewhat different because we'd be looking at different things. I might say, wow, did you see the heroine? She's really good looking. And you might say, yeah, but did you see that her dancing partner? He was, you know, that kind of thing. So the thing that you focus on is a function of who you are. In each of these descriptions, you have a slightly different perspective on the same event. I actually want to spend a little time on Mark 6.45. So this is after the feeding of the 5,000. So 45. He immediately made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida. While he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against him. And over in John 6, in verse 18, the sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. So we're in the same incident, and he's observing it from the shore. John is sort of describing it third person. So I'm back in Mark 6:48, And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, 
walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Exactly the same incident, but Mark talks about the condition of their heart. John doesn't mention it. Okay, and of course, as I say, we have in the same incident where Peter gets out there and walks on the water. It says they did not understand about the loaves because their hearts were hardened. So the question is, what didn't they understand about the loaves? What were they supposed to have understood about the loaves? And what would they have understood about the loaves had their hearts not been hardened? I mean, they were there. They were helping him distribute the loaves and the fishes. So they understood that we started off with five loaves and two fish, and we fed 5,000 people. They got that. They were there. They witnessed it. It was cool. But then he tells them in the Mark account to go across the water. And they hit a storm and they stall until he walks up to them and gets in the boat and then the storm ceases and they're on the other side. So what did they not understand because their hearts were hard? What about the loaves and fishes did they not understand because their hearts were hard? What I would suggest is God, in the person of Yeshua, told them to do something. And if he tells you to do something directly, then he has given you everything you need to accomplish what he told you to do. But they didn't understand their access to the supernatural because of their hardened hearts. And hardened, in this case, doesn't mean stubborn. They're not in rebellion, not like Pharaoh, for example, who's, who's in rebellion against God. They're not in rebellion. They are simply focused on this world instead of on the supernatural. And they're walking with Yeshua, and he's given them an instruction. And he's just seen the loaves and fishes be multiplied. So the inference they should have drawn was, oh, we have authority over this storm and we'll just go. They didn't understand that because their hearts were hardened, which means that they couldn't appreciate the supernatural power that they had available to them. In the Exodus, as well as here, they are all in a position of looking to somebody with power to do something for them. They complain to Moses when they don't have food. They complain to Moses when they don't have water. And in no case do they make the click over that I could be one of the ones who accesses the power of God and brings forth water from the rock. They just don't make that shift because Moses is the guy with the rod. Moses is the guy that did it. Uh, we need to go talk to Moses because he's the one who can do stuff like that. We're not. We are simply consumers of the stuff that Moses is able to bring down from heaven or bring up from the rock. In the case of Yeshua here, Yeshua can feed 5,000 people. So when we're stuck in a storm, it doesn't occur to us, oh, God incarnate just told me to go across the water. Storm, get out of my way. I got instructions. It doesn't occur to them to say something like that. What they do is they row harder because that's what they know how to do. And so Yeshua walks up and says to the storm, stop, gets in the boat, and they go across. And the Mark description of that vignette says that the problem was they didn't understand the loaves and the fishes because their hearts were hard. 
It was not his intention at all to stop and help them. I gave you everything you need. Figure it out, guys. And it's only when they panic that he finally turns and says, yeah, it's me, don't panic, calm down. Gets in the boat and calms the storm. All right, so next thing we're going to do, and I'm not going to do it tonight, is we're going to do I am the bread of life. And that gets wrapped up in eternal life, and it's going to take longer than five minutes to talk about it. But what he's doing, John is doing, is he's setting up with the loaves and fishes this next riff then on bread. So you've got loaves and fishes, then you've got going across the sea, and as I say, parenthetically over in the book of of Mark, you find out that one of the reasons they got hung up is because they didn't understand the loaves and fishes. So the next thing we're going to have in the book of John is this long riff on the bread of life and eating the flesh and drinking the blood and all that kind of stuff. That's going to take longer than the seven minutes I have, or at least it's going to take longer to do it justice. Please consider becoming a sponsor. Please visit crimsonthread.com purpose for an explanation of what we're doing and perhaps to become a sponsor. Thank you.